Welcome to Pull Back, the podcast that digs into the ethics behind everyday choices. I'm Kyla Hewson, and I'm here with Kristen Pugh. Bonjour, ho. (laughs) And today, we're talking about nothing, everything. It's our New Year's Eve special. New Year's, ah, I keep saying that. It's our New Year's special, listeners, our New Year's special. (laughs) It's just so hard to say the word New Year's without also saying the word Eve right after it. I don't know. (laughs) Anyways, uh, we're here with our three panelists who regular listeners will know. Sammy, Luke, who we had for our chocolate episode. Hello. Hi. Jagan Johnson, who was one of our featured artists in our, our How Art is Affected by COVID sort of episode. And I wanted to get you on for like a proper episode. Maybe we'll bring you on in the new year. This is just like a fun one. And I was like, let's get Jagan. So hello there. <laughs> Hello. I think that would involve me having any sort of knowledge in any area at all. So I don't know. Maybe we'll find one. <laughs> I don't know because our next guest is Robbie, uh, and he's a regular. <laughs> he knows nothing. <laughs> Indeed, I do know nothing. <laughs> I'm just here with the hottest of takes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Rob- Robbie's our, our hot takes guy. So <laughs> although Robbie does know lots of things, Robbie is uh, an activist and he is our, what, resident communist, would you say, Robbie? Uh, resident social ecologist. There you go. That's that's go. that. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So we're going to do a, what, like a, a panel sort of quiz show And we did this last year and it was a lot of fun. What we did last year was everyone chose a word to buzz in with. If you guys want to let us know what your buzz in word is. Yeah, mine is going to be pie. Very festive. (laughs) I I don't go the full pumpkin pie. We'll just say pie for speed. (laughs) Good strategic choice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Although um, it does remind me that Kristen has only ever only started eating pumpkin pie like three years ago yes what a barren childhood you've been missing out (laughs) yeah my family's not into it at all so um i had it for the first time at a friend's house and i was like oh my god what have i been missing my whole life (laughs) (laughs) it's glorious that's such a tragedy jagan do you have a buzzing word for us blarg (laughs) perfect and then robbie what's your buzzing word for us uh, I think I we we were talking about this in like the pre-recording. I think I am going to go with nibbling. Nice. <laughs> My brother just had his second kid, so for those who don't know, nibbling is a gender-neutral way to refer to nieces and nephews. That was my question. I was like, "What's the gender-neutral word?" And you just knew right away. I loved it. So I'm going to be keeping score for everybody. And Kristen has hopefully prepared questions because I didn't. Yeah, I did. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) And then at the end, uh, what we did last year was Kristen and I made a donation to the winner's charity of choice. So at the end, we'll ask you guys for a charity. Well, the winner will ask you for your charity of choice and we will make a donation to it as your prize. So there you go. This is a much more dignified way to get donations to our charities of choice than the Arizona teachers who scrambled for money on a hockey rink. Oh, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's part two of the competition, though. They didn't tell you that. (laughs) It gets wild. (laughs) all right we ready for a question heck yeah let's do it okay question one who was recently named the time person of the year blarg nibbling (laughs) jagan that'd be 
the musky boy himself, yeah. Mr. Elon Musk. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you guys think he deserved it? No. <laughs> no. Time Magazine just keeps making people who are relevant to that year person of the year. I mean, they had Trump back in the day as well. Like, clearly it's not the actual person of the year. It's just whoever was the most socially relevant. So because he's been active on the Twitter, just, you know, throwing up those hot memes and <laughs> hot takes. <laughs> like, yeah. There's actually an even better reason why he was named person of the year, which is that Mark Benioff uh, bought Time Magazine and is a huge investor in Tesla. Oh, so I'm pretty sure that it's just a way for him to boost his stock portfolio. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's even more upsetting than what I was originally thinking. So yeah. yeah. Prepping this question gave me a chance to like go through Elon Musk's Wikipedia page. And I forgot a bunch of stuff about him. Like, um, he released a rap track called R.I.P. Harambe on SoundCloud. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a thing I forgot existed. He's always been a meme lord forever. Yeah. He's also apparently a wildly terrible piece of shit of a person, so. I just want to know who told him that haircut was a good idea. Oh, yeah, woof. <laughs> Behind the Bastards did an episode on him, so if anyone wants to learn more about his wacky life, go for it. But I'm surprised that they didn't name, like, I guess now that Robbie has pointed out that it's all about money, as it always is, I was surprised that they didn't name, like, what's-his-face who went into space? Was it Richard Branson or something? Yeah, Richard Branson and uh, Jeff Bezos as well. But actually, um, Elon Musk, uh, he's now the richest person in the world, so maybe that's why. And it, a lot of it is, um, I mean, not necessarily directly COVID profiteering, because I think a lot of it has to do with Tesla stock, but um, at the start of 2020, his net worth was only $27 billion, which is still way too much money. Um, but now it is $209 billion. So <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. He's better. He better watch his back. Jeff Bezos, I think, is a jealous man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he's been juicing, apparently. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Elon Musk, too. Like, just recently, the Tesla stock dropped just because he keeps tweeting out stuff about him selling shares and different things like that and it's caused like a 10% drop or some weird thing or no he sold like a 10% stake in the Tesla so it's this whole bizarre thing that he just keeps like being both the beneficiary and the antagonist of himself so. <laughs> yeah i feel like a lot of rich men would do a lot better for themselves if they got off twitter it's true yeah i, I mean i think that's probably an evergreen statement not just for rich people <laughs> <laughs> actually i did a, a self-imposed uh twitter vacation a friend and i were like we're gonna leave twitter for a month and i was like okay i'm pretty sure i'm not gonna last that long uh, and it, i was not the first person to break our twitter twitter vacation my friends started sending me tweets in my Twitter DMs. And I was like, well, clearly you have not left Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie, do you tweet a lot? I don't, I'm, I'm never on Twitter. So I, I actually am really bad and I don't know. I actually try to not tweet too much, um, but I do spend a lot of time on Twitter. It is pretty funny with Kyla not being on Twitter a lot because sometimes I'll get like um, a notification from three days after I've tweeted a thing that's like, Kyla liked this. <laughs> oh, yeah, she finally logged in. <laughs> um, I also, I prepped some stuff on billionaire wealth uh, for this question. Uh, so 
I don't know if you had heard this, but during the COVID pandemic, uh, U.S. billionaire wealth, it increased by a total of $2.1 trillion. So that was a 70% increase. So they're now at $5 trillion. And uh, that is equal to um, the $2.1 trillion gain is equal to more than half of all of the spending in the Build Back Better infrastructure plan. So that's pretty fucked up. Wow. That's not even going to go through. I think one of the senators announced today that he's not going to back it. Yeah. So like, I tried to make this uh, this quiz relatively optimistic because Kyla um, told me recently that she was bummed out by all the news, but <laughs> it's been a bleak year. <laughs> I don't know how it possibly can be. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. Are we ready for question two? Let's go. Yes. Okay. Here we go. So this year, many Canadians boycotted Canada Day or celebrated differently after the remains of 215 children were found at which residential school? Oh, nibbling. Yes, Robbie. I know it was in the Shikopmek territory, but I actually can't remember the name of the school now. I'm going to give that to you because it was just the Kamloops Indian Residential School. But I think getting getting the nation is probably... Oh, it is just Kamloops. Okay. Shows even more knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> Kristen, you just said that you were going to have more positive... <laughs> questions for us i know i had this at the end and i was like we can't end with residential schools that's too depressing so I it up. the next 10 questions are just about the softness of kitten paws don't worry about it it's fine oh i'm an expert in that <laughs> oh no they brought in a ringer <laughs> <laughs> yeah so in case um anyone was wondering um their total now is uh about 1,300 suspected graves that have been found at residential schools around the country. So, And those are the ones that they found. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So far. Should we, should we move on to the next question? Was that too depressing? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just sit in silence and stew on this for a second. There's more that I really enjoy, especially from that lead-in, that there were a lot of like Canadians who celebrated differently. It was really, it was really kind of fun to just like go in black block and protest against mm-hmm. Canada Day. Mm-hmm. It's really nice. Honestly, very fun, much better than other ways to mark the occasion. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I personally was surprised by how many people were wearing orange instead of red on Canada Day. I know it's like literally the least you can do, but I really didn't expect um, for people to care as much as they did. Yeah, though, I mean, like very quickly, we turned in our orange shirts for assault rifles as Canadians. So yeah, there is that. It didn't really last very long. (laughs) Wait, what? Where did we get assault rifles? There's been lots of invasions of the Wet'suwet'en territory. Oh, oh yeah. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I am actually in BC. So I, I just was, I, I don't know why. I thought there was like a law overturned or something. No. <laughs> but no, just the RCMP terrorizing. So terrorizing innocent protesters. Yeah, that was the wild thing about seeing all those orange shirts was the like, but Canada is constantly doing this shit. Like all these people are like wearing their orange shirts and I'm like, we still live in Canada, though. It's still a, a terrible place. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's like how on Reconciliation Day, our prime minister decided to go to Tofino. Yeah, that's right. I yeah. forgot about <laughs> that. It's kind of like, it's literally the first one. You just have to show up for this one, specifically. It's That's literally the least you could do. <laughs> but no, he's got to get his surf on. Edmonton-specific news, the police budget was uh, cut recently by city council, except for $1 million that they gave them a raise for so they could pay for overtime on Truth and Reconciliation Day. Wait, 
Something there doesn't connect for me. Because they thought that was going to get extra spicy or something? <laughs> like, what was going to happen? Yeah, so that's what reconciliation is used for in Canada, uh, justifying increases to the police budget. Specifically, Edmonton police do not need more money. My sister, my sister is a crown prosecutor for the Alberta government. She also was doing um, just like fines and different things like people would have to come in and like argue that they shouldn't have to pay a fine or that sort of thing. And she said the number of like frivolous tickets that were given out just to see which ones stuck were so amazingly high. Like she wasted her time so frequently just with people coming in and being like, yeah, so they gave me a ticket because I was going like five kilometers over in this area and like it was right between like a change in speeds and so I was just kind of like slowing down and she's like yeah that's that's dumb as shit man (laughs) 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 so she just had to like be like I'm not gonna I'm not going to prosecute this case like I'm not gonna go for this ticket and the police would just get upset at her and she's like like what do you want me to do you're you're handing out parking tickets because a person that like has a le- legitimate disability didn't have their sticker up or their little hanger thing, but very clearly in front of you got out and got like crutches out and stuff like that, but you still gave them a ticket for not displaying it. It's just kind of like, what do you want me to do with this? This is not going to succeed anyway, so just calm the hell down. <laughs> Well, our surprise, um, our surprise for you, Jagan, is that Sammy is a an Edmonton police officer. So, fantastic. <laughs> so okay, so then, so the second one is a scrambling for money, and then the third one is Mortal Kombat. Is that what we're doing? <laughs> <laughs> I, I can assure you that I cannot take down anyone, even if you gave me that million dollars in, in weapons. <laughs> So what you're saying is even if you were driving the EPS tank, we would still have a a decent shot. You'd have a good shot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Are we ready for question three? Sure. Yes. Okay, here we go. So the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, their sixth assessment report made headlines this year for using what word to describe human-caused climate change? I'm going to guess pie. Okay, so pie. I'm going to guess anthropogenic. No, but that's a great guess. Um, I'll just tell you guys the answer. I think this was a badly worded question. (laughs) The uh, word was unequivocal, and scientifically it means that there's a 100% probability. The report, this was the first time that they had uh, said that climate change was unequivocally caused by humans, um, and unequivocal appears in the report 32 times, so... It was basically made headlines for being the first report where they were like, look, there's no room for wishy-washing. It's not 98%. It's 100%. Climate change is fucking us over, and it's caused by humans. Was anyone following um, the COP26 summit in Glasgow at all? I was. The... What was it? The coordinator, the guy like running the conference ended up crying on the last day because it was like so frustrating for him. Yeah, I thought more than anything else, that was a good indication of how we're doing on climate change. (laughs) That feels accurate. So there was analysis that was published during the summit itself that found um, current national commitments um, would actually lead to 2.4 degrees of warming, uh, which is much more than countries want to, or at least say they want to get to. 
Um, so countries based on that agreed to revise their targets in 2022. So we'll see what happens there. There was also the first commitment to phase down coal. The downside of that was that the language was weakened at the last minute, which is why the, um, the bureaucrat cried. Uh, countries also agreed to double climate finance for climate adaptation. Um, who knows whether that will actually happen, but uh, it was a commitment that was made. Um, and also countries announced new rules for cross-border carbon credits. So the like wild west of carbon offsets will hopefully be addressed at some point in the future. Yeah, I remember. So my, my partner was at COP16. COP16 was in Mexico. Yeah, I think he was at COP16. And uh, we've sort of followed every year, you know, since. And um, it just feels like there's a lot of talking and there are a lot of reports and I'm sure that a lot of people put a lot of work into making it happen, but it does not feel like we have any real commitment to anything that anyone says they're going to do there, which is very sad. Yeah. It's not the best. <laughs> it kind of seems to be like every time there's like a G6 or G7 or any sort of global like climate initiative or like the Paris agreements or anything like that, so the governments will be like, we're definitely going to take this seriously now. And then the next year, they're like, okay, so we didn't do any of that stuff we talked about last year. But this year, this year's going to be our year, guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's definitely pretty grim. All right. Are we ready for question four? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> now that I've depressed everybody. <laughs> okay. <laughs> question four. Which British Columbia highway reopened yesterday after being destroyed by catastrophic flooding this fall? Nibbling. Robbie. It was the Coquihalla. Nice. Yes, it was. I'm actually surprised that opened up so quickly. Well, it's only open for essential travel. So if you wanted to go from Kelowna to Vancouver for Christmas, you can't. I know that because I know some people who are coming to Vancouver from Kelowna for Christmas and they're driving through the States. <laughs> yeah, they had to make like special border um, arrangements so that people can drive around um, through the U.S. right now. Um, I uh, found a recap of the worst natural disasters that happened this year. And for some reason, the floods weren't even on the list. So that's how bad the disasters have been what? this year. <laughs> Whoa, because, yeah, the, the floods were really bad. Yeah. So I, if you want, I can go through the list. <laughs> I would like that. But I just, for listeners who don't understand what happened here in BC, they were, they were flying helicopters, like all of the helicopters were booked for weeks because they were flying supplies to communities that were completely surrounded by water. So, and all of the roads have been destroyed. I say all of the roads. There's only like three roads in BC, <laughs> but they all got hammered pretty badly. Yeah, it's going to be massively expensive to fix. So I was surprised that it didn't make this list. And, you know, maybe it's just because it was too recent. But all right, some of the worst disasters that happened this year. Uh, way back in January, I completely forgot about this. Uh, there was an extreme snowstorm in Spain that like pretty much shut down the country and trapped a bunch of motorists. Uh, then there was Cyclone Anna in uh, Fiji that it led to the evacuation of 10,000 people. Ooh, yeah, that's that does sound much worse than the flooding here. Yeah, um, people will probably remember in February that winter storm that uh, left millions of people without power in Texas and uh, hundreds of people died for that. 
Then there was a sandstorm that I hadn't even heard of across China that led to yellow smog across a lot of the country and created like huge air pollution hazards. Uh, after that, we're still in early spring. Uh, more than 150 <laughs> people were killed and 10,000 evacuated by Cyclone Saroja um, in Indonesia and East Timor. Then we get to uh, North America again, uh, where record-setting heat waves in Western Canada and the U.S. Uh, happened. Uh, but it also happened in the U.K., Ireland, Russia, and Central Asia, and probably more places. Uh, note from that one is that in B.C., uh, the coroner's office uh, found that 610 people died from the heat waves this summer. There was also flooding in Western Germany and Belgium that was, um, you know, unprecedented and killed at least 170 people and left more than 100,000 without power. Then there were wildfires across Italy, Greece and Turkey, as well as across a lot of Canada and the United States. The uh, Greek island of Evia was completely evacuated. Um, and, oh, fun note about the wildfires this year in the United States. Um, so over the last two years, uh, wildfires um, in Western America have destroyed 20% of all sequoias. So that's cool. Those are like thousand-year-old trees. Uh, Hurricane Ida killed 45 Americans and left more than a million homes and businesses in Louisiana, Mississippi, and New Orleans without power. Um, and then the last one is the record-setting tornado in Kentucky that killed 78 people. So it's been a rough year for natural disasters. BC having like a flood that affected thousands and thousands of people not making that list is just like, that's a whole vibe for this year. That's like... I know. <laughs> yeah, I feel like any one of the um, natural disasters we talked about would have been the big one that everybody donated to 10 years ago. But now it's just like, these things are happening all the time. We don't even hear about them on the news. Well, just to add to the list I saw, was it this morning or um, last... I I guess the time in Philippines would have been yesterday, but they were hit by a huge typhoon yesterday that a uh, hundred thousand people had to evacuate. And I think um, they're still finding casualties, unfortunately. So yeah, the year is not over. <laughs> no, very much not. Question five. <laughs> Let's get out of this. <laughs> <laughs> no more climate change for this episode. <laughs> Okay, question five. After successful union drives this December, the first American unionized shop of which famous chain was established in Buffalo, New York? So which famous chain now has a union shop? Oh, um, pie. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, Starbucks. It is Starbucks. Hooray. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Forgot about that. We're uh, veering more into the uh, chocolate coffee territory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah this question has caffeine in it <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean personally much more distracted by the stuff going on with like the kellogg's union busting and everything right now i completely forgot about starbucks unionizing yeah yeah, yeah. what's going on with kellogg's oh, oh gosh, where do we start <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the kellogg's employees decided that they're going to unionize or they their union wanted to negotiate like better contracts for them. And so then Kellogg's uh, offered them like a pittance and they said, no, so we're going to go on strike. And then Kellogg's was like, all right, cool. So you're all fired now. We're just going to hire a bunch of like scabs to come in and take over from you. And then like Reddit and 
TikTok flooded their applications with fake applications so that then they didn't have any real applicants and then they took it online and then they flooded those with fake applications again. So then Kellogg's decided to finally go back to the table to discuss because they were getting absolutely boned <laughs> with this. But they brought in like a union busting consulting firm and all this different stuff. So, yeah, they really went about it in a terrible way. Probably the same consulting firm that Amazon uses. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Starbucks. No, Amazon just locks <laughs> their employees in a warehouse until they get crushed by the warehouse. And then they don't have to worry about unions. Oh, oh man. <laughs> this year. <laughs> uh, a slightly more lighthearted um, ad, addendum to this. If you look at the replies to Kellogg's USA on Twitter, there's a bunch of people who are just like complaining about how shitty their Kellogg's products are. Um, and it's very funny because it's just full of Kellogg's being like, oh, your toast, your, your like Pop-Tart shouldn't have half of the frosting like off of the like it's like not centered it's like totally off or like pop tarts without frosting or um rice crispy squares with like no packaging in the box and stuff and it's like just full of them apologizing being like sorry we'll fix this and it's like maybe maybe you shouldn't have fired all of your employees <laughs> that would probably help <laughs> probably yeah <laughs> apparently the, a bunch of their machines also uh were broken because the people that they did have working there didn't know what they were doing and so they broke a bunch of their machines at like one of their major distribution plants as well so yeah they're doing real good <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was funny that happened to the john deere plant too that they locked out all their workers and then the scabs broke a bunch of machinery and you're just like you get what you get I've used some manufacturing machines like that, like horizontal flow wrappers and uh, like automatic, um, like kind of like all the machines you see on how it's made. And uh, they're not easy to set up. Like they're very <laughs> precise. Uh, if you don't know what you're doing, you will absolutely screw it up. So it's it's very surprising to me that they um, they don't value their employees with experience a lot more. Yeah, there have been a lot of labor actions this year. Um and particularly in October, I guess, in the States, it was a huge month for strikes. Um, it's been sort of the moniker for it is Striketober, which I kind of like. One thing that's been a casualty of the uh, Kellogg strike is that apparently they are taking the Kellogg's brand off of all the like packaging for Pop-Tarts because oh, yeah. Kellogg's has become like such a, a maligned term that they're like we're announcing that we're taking the kellogg's off of pop tarts but they'll still be the same pop tarts and everyone in the mentions is just like wow you really you're really doing that eh (laughs) (laughs) it's probably also because someone couldn't figure out how to print the kellogg's logo onto the packages properly (laughs) at the scab (laughs) so they're like we're just taking them off guys it's good you know totally Unrelated. Uh. <laughs> the Kellogg strike has also been interesting for me because I'm a, a breakfast cereal person. Mm. Uh, and so it there's like very few breakfast cereals in stores that are not Kellogg's brand that aren't either like, actually, even the expensive ones are also mostly owned by Kellogg's. Um, so I've started making overnight oats as uh, my only way to boycott Kellogg's and also still have breakfast. <laughs> Nice. nice. 
I have a good recipe for chocolate peanut butter ones that I'll send you later. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, I've been doing um, cardamom, walnuts, and raisins as my sort of Ooh. Ooh. Nice. Ugh, Robbie, you're like a 90-year-old man. <laughs> <laughs> it does feel that way. I'm like, man, I'm just like, it actually sucked last night because I went to a Christmas party and I got home at like three o'clock in the morning. And I was like, fuck, I don't want to have to make oats for tomorrow morning <laughs> it's the worst part of overnight oats but how are you going to get your fiber <laughs> they are very fibrous <laughs> all right you guys ready for another question yeah. heck yeah okay here we go uh in january this year the u.s supreme court blocked a child trafficking lawsuit against which two companies and you can get a point for getting either of them so hi go ahead nestle mm-hmm Oh, I don't think it's Hershey's, but I guess I'll say Hershey. No, it's not Hershey's. So if somebody else wants to guess a food company, they can get the other point. <laughs> I can't believe I forgot. No, it's all good. I definitely thought this was going to be like a gag thing and it was going to be like the Wish Cabinet Company. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I thought this was like a, a QAnon getting dunked on question. I didn't realize this was <laughs> It's Mars, but uh, it's Mars, I believe. Um, no, it's Cargill. No, no? Cargill. Oh, okay. That's but those really? were also both great guesses. Yeah. So I, th I think there might have been another lawsuit um, where Mars and Hershey were also implicated in. But uh, there's been a big push in, um, in trying to get uh, ch child trafficking free chocolate in the United States by a couple a couple senators, I think. And it's been very interesting because, you know, it feels like one of those things that's easy to agree on, but surprisingly challenging. Yeah. And um, this court case in particular, um, I actually got the idea for this question because it was something that Sam that you mentioned in our chocolate episode. <laughs> I was like, I wonder what happened with that. Right. Um, but it was basically a court case where six African men had um, alleged in a class action that as children, they were trafficked out of Mali and forced to work on um, like cocoa farms in Cote d'Ivoire and kept in like locked shacks and, you know, bad situation. And so uh, their allegation was basically that Nestle and Cargill should have better monitored their cocoa suppliers in West Africa. Um, there had been some like uh, disagreements on whether basically the the debate in the courts was like, was there jurisdiction for an American court to be able to hear this? And ultimately, the Supreme Court said that there wasn't. They didn't really say anything um, like the ruling wasn't saying that Nestle and Cargill aren't complicit in human trafficking. It was more so that just the U.S. courts aren't the right place to fight this, to like have this lawsuit. I think, unfortunately, because of that, it's very, it's very interesting. Um, and I don't know, I'd be really curious to hear a, a lawyer's take on this. But these are, you know, six men or six, six people from Mali who were trafficked to a different country or different countries in Africa. This happens all the time. And like the companies that they are working for, like the cocoa farms, cocoa plantations are not owned by Nestle or Cargill, but they do supply Nestle and Cargill and the power lies entirely with Nestle and Cargo with whom they have contracts. So it's it's sort of, I think, kind of like a hot potato. Nobody wants to be the one to press this against these giant multinational companies. But, you know, it, 
if you look at where where the balance of power is for you know any of these countries, any of the farms that are supplying the the companies, that it really does lie with Nestle and Cargill. But you know, do the do Cote d'Ivoire or is that the right term? I think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, do do the courts in Cote d'Ivoire have the power to pursue a company like Nestle, which controls so much of their economy, like a, a huge amount of their economy is cocoa production? Yeah, it could be could be really challenging. And if if Nestle decides to to start propping up and pursuing growing cocoa in other countries, then they can essentially you know cut off the head of a huge part of the agricultural industry in Cote d'Ivoire and Ghana. Yeah, another thing with that is that like, um, so I, I googled it a little last night, and the chocolate companies um, like Hershey, Mars and Nestle have, they all pledged to get rid of child slavery in their supply chains back in like the year 2000 or 2001, like 20 years ago. Um, and they still like, none of them can trace more than half of their cocoa supply. Um, like they just don't even know what farms they're coming from. So there's not I mean, that to me seems like there's really no progress that's been made, but maybe I'm being too pessimistic. <laughs> uh, yeah, it definitely <laughs> seems like there's there's like progress in some ways and then like backward steps in others. I'm still hung up on the that Cargill is a chocolate company now, too, because I just treat them as like the archetypical evil company that does bad things. Um, so this is not surprising <laughs> to me, but I'm also just like, God damn, Cargill is just a categorically evil company. Cargill makes a bunch of different brands of chocolate. Um, so especially like if you ever, um, do you all have Bulk Barn where you are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Bulk Barn. So like a lot of the chips that you get from Bulk Barn, um, like the Merkins chips, the Wilbur, um, they, Wilbur does all of the like um, cake decorating stuff um, is owned by Cargill and uh they do a lot of the intermediate processing as well. Yeah. Huh. Mm. If you ever, if you ever want to be really sad, um, Cargill also owns Diamond Kosher Salt, which is, which is, uh, I think, almost every North American chef's salt of choice. And uh, I was very sad to learn that Cargill owns Diamond Kosher Salt because I love that salt. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be doing a Monopolies episode in January, and, uh, you know, the oligopoly of the food industry is something that we'll definitely be talking about, because, like, how do you even get around <laughs> it? Cargill is such a huge company. Yeah. yeah. Or, like, Nestle owning so many different things as well. Coca-Cola, like, yeah, it's it's insane. General Mills, yeah. Definitely. All right, should we move on to question seven? Sure. Heck Yeah. Pandora, which is the world's largest jewelry maker, uh, they made a major announcement this year about how they plan to responsibly source their diamonds. Uh, does anybody know what that announcement was? Nibbling. Yeah, Robbie. Is it the fucking blockchain? <laughs> no. <laughs> what? <laughs> Maybe explain more. <laughs> oh, I thought that the way that they were going to like trace their diamonds and respond to this criticism was by putting all their diamonds on a blockchain. No, um, although that oh, would be a uh, classic, classic company response. So glad I'm wrong. Uh, Blark. Yeah. Yes. I think it was that they were going to only use lab-made diamonds or something like that, that they're not going to use mined. Yeah, yeah, you nailed it. That's right. <laughs> oh, that's a much better solution than the blockchain. I'm glad we have a real plan. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to mine diamonds anymore, but we will destroy the environment through the use of... 
crypto mining. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering. I'm like, what? What is the? What's the carbon footprint of making a diamond? <laughs> yeah, the company does claim that um, they're using 60% renewable energy right now to make their diamonds, and that by 2022 they will be carbon neutral. So. What? If that's true, that would be great. Um, they also are pledging by 2025 to use only recycled metals in their um, jewelry, which I think is pretty cool. Well, in theory, they could just take all of the carbon that would go into the atmosphere and crush it into another diamond. So it's just it's just bad business to be. <laughs> I was going to say, can you be carbon neutral if you're making a product out of carbon? <laughs> they're, they're, they're going to be the biggest company that creates carbon sinks. There you go. Yeah. This will be a new carbon capture utilization and storage scheme. That would be wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah turn it all into diamonds. <laughs> and you can still get an NFT of the diamond, not the actual diamond. <laughs> <laughs> NFTs of diamonds are a girl's best friend. Is that the new tagline? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm so happy I was wrong on that one. I actually, yeah. diamonds are really cool. <laughs> I'm glad they're they're moving towards making that like commercializable. That's really neat. One of the reasons that they're doing this is that it's really tough to responsibly sort of trace your diamond supply chains. That's something that jewelry companies have had a lot of. Um, some of them have had problems with it. Some of them have not tried very hard. It's a little bit of a mixed bag there. But we'll maybe do an episode on human rights and. Uh, jewels at some point have you done an episode on diamonds before no we haven't we've done conflict minerals but not not um you know blood diamonds i wonder if that's going to affect the market for diamonds then because there's such a sense of like false scarcity that so many diamond companies have built in because they say like oh it's so hard to get these diamonds out of the ground if we reach a point of efficiency with creating them in labs then wouldn't that just mean that diamonds lose their valuability? I mean, it's possible that Pandora would just create false scarcity by only making so many diamonds a year or whatever. But yeah, I don't know. I, I'm already getting pushback from other diamond companies. There's a jewelry store that advertises on the radio all the time. You guys probably know it. It's Spence Diamonds. <laughs> <laughs> Worst ads on the radio. Most annoying ads ever. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I've, no I've noticed that, I, I mean, maybe it wasn't them. I The radio's on at work a lot, so I, I kind of tune it out. But if it's not them, it's another place that sells jewelry. And they're like, oh, we only sell real diamonds. And I'm like, okay, sit down. Yeah, totally. <laughs> That's also just such a wide variety because diamonds, there's so many different, like, it's like clarity and the cut and all the different things. It's like we sell real diamonds. I'm like, they could be real shit diamonds, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's like how packages sometimes say natural flavoring. Yeah, yeah, maybe it wasn't Spence Diamonds. It might be just that they're in my head because they their advertising is so annoying that, I mean, honestly, it works. I'm thinking about them and I'm associating stuff with them that might not even be them. So great job on your radio ads for the last 30 years, I guess. But you're not going to buy from them. So I think that's missing a major point of yeah. that. <laughs> if it's like, oh, I remember this company. They suck ass. I'm never going to buy anything from them. It's just kind of like, I don't know if your marketing campaign actually worked out successfully then. <laughs> oh, man, fuck these guys. Should we maybe move on to uh, question eight? Yes. And I would just like to say right now that we have a three-way tie. So... The next two questions are really gonna, really gonna push Ooh. it. Oh. Mm. I thought Sammy was cleaning up. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I, I definitely have not been. She's been on a comeback streak now and has tied it up. Love it. <laughs> okay, so uh, question eight. We just talked about Pandora, the jewelry company, but there was actually another Pandora that was in the news this year. The question is, what's that Pandora? Oh, nibbling. Go to it. Yeah, Robbie. Uh, it's the Pandora Papers, wasn't it? The um, It's a gigantic offshore tax evasion revelation that will once again get buried and no one will talk about. Yes, you're exactly right. I was thinking about trolling you and saying that was the wrong answer, but... <laughs> But no, you're right. <laughs> that would be very on brand for the Pandora Papers to be like, no, that didn't exist and didn't happen. And please forget about all of the money that <laughs> off What was the other paper that came out a couple years ago that said the exact same thing? The Panama Paradise Papers. Yeah, Panama and then Paradise. You guys got it. <laughs> and then, yeah, a bunch of journalists got murdered for reporting on it. And we forgot that it happened. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so, yeah. Pandora was a bit different because like the the Panama Papers were linked to just one company called Mosaic Fonseco in Panama and um, Paradise, I think, was also pretty limited, whereas um, the Pandora Papers were for 14 different offshore services firms. And uh, they've got some pretty big names. I, I looked it up. Um, this is not by any means a comprehensive list, um, but there were some people I had heard of. Um, so Tony Blair, the former UK prime minister, was in there. Um, also, the um, the King of Jordan, Kim, King Abdullah II, uh, sitting Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta. This one's my personal favorite, the current president of Ukraine, um, Volodymyr Zelensky, who um, has a really crazy story. He was like a comedian who ended up being elected on an anti-corruption campaign after being the star in a TV show where he's elected president in an anti-corruption campaign it's pretty crazy <laughs> but he also is hiding his money offshore so he's corrupt, so That's he's corrupt. Almost... Media. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah it's uh yeah uh then also shakira elton john and ringo star those were the ones i'd heard of ringo we all thought better of you <laughs> it shocks me every time someone reminds me that ringo is still alive <laughs> i'm like yeah. wait wait what happened <laughs> All right, ready for question nine? Let's do it. it. Okay. So this is another question on the tax justice topic. So there was some good news this year at the G7. Um, What did G7 countries agree to this year on taxes? Oh, nibbling. Robbie. They agreed to a minimum, like an international minimum tax to try and reduce the amount of like tax evasion. Yeah, global minimum corporate tax specifically. But yep, yeah. Yeah, so some details about that. Um, uh, It was a global minimum corporate tax that was set at 15%. Um, It was agreed at the G7 first, and then at the G20, they also agreed to do it. So it will probably happen. Um, Basically, what it will do is require companies to pay tax where they have their operations, not just their headquarters. So countries can still set their corporate tax rates at whatever they want. But if very big companies around the world are paying less than 15% taxes abroad, Um, countries can apply a corporate tax up to that 15% minimum. Um, It is criticized somewhat because it was lower than people wanted. Some people are calling for 25 or 30% um, because a lot of corporate tax rates around the world are already higher than 15%. Um, It also, the way they developed the formula, it would allow companies um, where there are markets to apply the taxes. And some people criticize that because 
you know, the global south where a lot of things are produced, um, some people argue is where the taxes should actually be applied. And uh, one of the reasons that that might have been the case is that low income countries were kind of excluded from negotiations because they happened at the G7. So anyone got thoughts about taxes? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think that this lets people um, or finally closes the Ireland loophole of uh, of uh, putting your headquarter in Ireland with zero employees and then paying zero corporate tax. Yeah, is Amazon going to have to pay tax in 192 countries now? Uh, only if they're paying less than 15% somewhere, I guess. Yeah, and it'll be dependent on where their like markets are. So probably they'll end up paying most of the tax in like um, the United States and stuff. And then there are also a bunch of loopholes. Yeah. The thing that makes me feel like this is just like a bunch of hot areas that it's like, but they already don't pay taxes in countries where they're supposed to pay taxes because the tax system is written by people they employ. So like, (laughs) (laughs) I strongly doubt it'll matter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it will make a difference, but it won't solve the problem. Yeah. I also want to talk about uh, just briefly, there was some more good news on the tax uh, file. Um, so there's something called a fair tax mark. Um, has anyone heard of that before? No, no, it's um, so it's uh, basically like an ethical label that has existed for a couple of years in the UK. Um, and it accredits businesses for responsible tax conduct. And um, that label as of like a month ago is now available internationally for multinationals to get. And it's open to any company that um, does three things. So the first one is paying the right amount of tax in the right place at the right time, according to not only the letter of the law, but also the spirit of the law. They also have to provide sufficient public information to ensure that their stakeholders um, can have an informed view of like the beneficial ownership. Um, so like who benefits from ownership of like a trust or whatever. Um, as well as tax conduct and financial presence and impacts around the world. So are they reporting on stuff? And do they tell the public what they pay in taxes? And so the first company that's accredited under that um, new international label is a Swedish renewable energy company called Vattenfall. So, hooray. Also, it's extremely disappointing to me on like a broader scale that we need an international uh, I paid my taxes mark instead of just the assumption that we should have that people and companies pay their taxes. Yeah, look, it's depressing, but at least it's a thing. <laughs> it's nice. Yeah. I feel like there's going to be a lot of like European countries and Scandinavian countries or whatever, but in North America, I think it's going to be a hot minute before any any companies here seem to find their way to that because I don't know. <laughs> I just I don't think anybody's going to be doing all that here. I do appreciate Kristen's attempt at positivity near the end of the quiz, though. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she yeah. made a valiant effort. And this is very on-brand. That's also a very, like, pullback thing to to have as the sort of, like, last question. I'm like, I'm excited <laughs> for, like, three or four years ago now when you do an episode on the how this uh, tax fairness label has been corrupted by a race to the bottom and no longer matters. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. I feel like we've been gutted here. (laughs) (laughs) Like I said at the beginning, I'm here for the hot takes. Okay. On that note, let's do our last question. (laughs) (laughs) Question 10. Um, There was a big tech company that lost a major antitrust case this year against um, the European Commission. What company was it? 
pie. Blarg. Yes, Sammy, go ahead. <laughs> I'm going to guess it was Google. Yeah, it was Google. Well, I'll explain uh, more about that case. So in 2017, the European Commission had, um, they basically issued a fine to Google of 2.4 billion euros. Um, and that was for giving preferential treatment um, for its own price comparison shopping service um, over rivals on its search engine. So privileging the like Google on Google search engines. Um, and Google had appealed that decision, but they lost the appeal at the European General Court this November. More broadly, the European Commission in the last few years has been cracking down on big tech monopolies. Uh, we'll talk about this a lot more in our next episode, but uh, they've issued a preliminary finding against Apple for privileging Apple Music over other streaming apps. Um, they also have opened an antitrust investigations into Amazon and Facebook. You love to see it. It was really weird to me researching for this question on Google. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there are no results. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> My favorite thing about Google, or at least like Alphabet or whatever, when they first started as a company, their slogan was do no evil. And then like a few years after that, they just dropped that mm -hmm. motto. It's just oh, kind yeah. of like, we're going to do a little bit of evil. We're going to just, just a touch of evil as a treat, you know? <laughs> Some evil. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, recently switched to using DuckDuckGo as my search engine of choice. Um, and it does really emphasize how much I'm like, man, Google does some really evil shit, but it's also a, just a really good search engine. <laughs> It's like all of its built-in privacy features also make it really annoying because every time I want to search for something in Edmonton, I have to specify that I am searching for this thing in Edmonton uh, because Google tracks my location and knows where I am and assumes if I'm looking for like a pizza place that it's probably a pizza place in Edmonton. But because DuckDuckGo doesn't track my location uh, and I just search a pizza they, you know, give me the top results for pizza places all around the world, which I'm like, these are useless to me. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to shout out my search engine real quick. I use Ecosia. And apparently every time you do a search, they plant a tree and it tells you in the top corner of your search engine how many trees you planted. And I've planted 1,365, maybe. <laughs> I have tremendous ADHD and I Google things like constantly, like I search things up because I just have random thoughts enter my head. I'm pretty sure if I use that search engine, I would just be like, <laughs> you plant a forest, plant me one million trees this year. <laughs> yeah, like, I just, yeah, I mean, sometimes <laughs> it is um, Ecosia, I think it uses the Bing search engine. So uh, that's how I like I get pretty good results from it. But sometimes I'm like, this isn't working. And I just have to switch back to Google. <laughs> that's, that's my favorite thing is that people are like, Oh, well, we can't really use Google. So I guess we'll try like a Kosher DuckDuckGo. And literally Bing is just kind of like, please, anyone, anyone, just us. <laughs> We're here. And they're like, they're like, no. <laughs> oh, I lied. I lied. For, you need to search 45 times to plant a tree. So whatever 1365 divided by 45 is, that's how many trees I've planted. <laughs> All right, are you guys ready for me to announce the winner? Yes. It's Robbie. Hooray. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Yay, by one point. It was a very close game, you guys. Robbie, do you have a charity you want us to donate your winnings to? I had completely not realized that that was a thing, so I don't know. 
<laughs> I might tell you later, there's a very non, there's a non-zero chance that I tell you to donate to the charity that I do work with. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. <laughs> nice. Yeah, we'll shout it out in the, uh, in the show notes. So if anyone else wants to check it out, then we'll put it there. And did Jagan and Sammy want to shout out any charities that you guys have been thinking of this holiday season? Sure. I um, So my partner and I donate to a couple charities that are um, both local to Toronto and Canada. Um, and this year we donated to the Pembina Institute um, for the their clean energy think tank that does um, climate change research. And we also donated to Food Share Toronto, which does food justice and food security related work in Toronto. So those are those are my top two um, for the season. That is an amazing shout out because we just did a series on food justice. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> a plus, Sammy. <laughs> Jagan? Uh, yeah, the ones that I've been kind of focusing on lately is the uh, Urban Native Youth Association, just because of everything that's been going on this year. It's been like, you know, something that's very important to me to try and support that as much as I can. Um, also, the... Uh, this is only going to be for Vancouver people, but the uh, the downtown east side women's shelter also, uh, yeah, it helps a lot of women who are either in abusive situations or they have situations for people that need to get off the streets. Like if they're trying to get clean, they have therapy, they have different um, workshops for them, that sort of thing. So it's another really great sort of charity to support, especially because in Vancouver, we do have an extremely high rate of homelessness so yeah yeah i second that one i really i really like the work those people do well that's fantastic what a nice way to end a bleak episode slash year so (laughs) (laughs) with the bleakest game show of all time just (laughs) here's some things that happened this year it was all bad We, we had fun. I'd like to thank our guests, Sammy Luke, Jagan Johnson, and Robert Miller for joining us and for joining us on previous episodes and for hopefully joining us on future episodes. You guys are a delight to work with. And I had a lot of fun recording this little last minute, like last uh, little hurrah for 2020. What fucking year is it? One? 2021? Why not? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And thank you to the listeners for all of your support this year. We have big plans and uh, lots of new, exciting things happening in the new year. Our our show has been going for, for two years strong now. Ooh. Kristen uh, and I have absolutely been killing it on the content front, just saying. And uh, we have, yeah, we have a lot more coming for, for everyone in the new year. I think... Um, I think 2022 is going to be pullbacks year if, if it's not the year for, every, for everything else. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a safe and happy new year. <laughs>